Hello, my name's David and this is the Hypothetic RL, a podcast about the what-ifs of rugby league history. And I'm joined by the, I think I called you the doyen last time, of the 1990s, uh, Michael Adams from the Rugby League Digest. How are you going, Mick? Uh, good, mate. Thanks for having me. I love the title. I'll take it. <laughs> well, I think that's what they call everyone who is, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, pretty much just anything in rugby league. I don't actually think anyone in rugby league knows what doyen means, no, but I think they just it, figure it. it, it you know, it's it's definitely fallen a long way if if it's even applying to me. It used to be a, a very exclusive term. But. We we all who listen to my podcast know that is rubbish, and you're you're excellent, and we all appreciate exactly uh, how good you are. Uh, look, I, as as like all the all the listeners will know, I've been doing rugby league World Cup themed episodes for the last month or so, um, and we've worked our way up from the very first one, and now we've got ourselves to the one that happened in 1995 and uh, a, a specific part of the 1995 Rugby League World Cup. Um, so we're going to have a chat about the semi-final between Australia and New Zealand, uh, which, if you don't remember, uh, I actually found actually found a YouTube clip. I, I didn't say this to you before we started recording, Michael, but I found a YouTube clip where it had the New Zealand commentary for the first half and the English commentary for the second half. And I don't know how that works, but um, it was very illuminating because I've only ever seen this game with Australian commentary. But yeah. uh, hearing it from the other side, uh, apparently Australia is the biggest cheats ever, and um, nothing <laughs> nothing went New Zealand's way, and Australia were were uh, very favoured by the referee or something. I don't know. And, and was that both the uh, the English and New Zealand perspective on that? Yeah, pretty much. So it, it was very strange. I, I I was just looking for it. I was actually looking for it today, and I was trying to figure out. Um, because I, I hadn't watched this game for a long time, and I was like, okay, I want to see a little bit of the information. I want to see a little bit of how the game was played and, and get a better feeling about it. And as I'm watching it, it, it came on, and it was New Zealand commentary. I thought, oh, okay, that's fine. I'll be New Zealand the whole time. Um, and as you can tell, it's New Zealand commentary, so they were very heavily saying, you know, how how what New Zealand had to do to win and all that sort of stuff. Um and then it kind of did this weird glitch and went out like near the half time, came back, and all of a sudden there were like Northern English voices, and I'm like, "This is strange." <laughs> and then I realised that yeah, one half was in the New Zealand commentary, and the other half was in the uh, like the BBC commentary, I think it was. Yeah, right. And since this isn't something that someone spliced together, this it mu- no, like... it must have been. I think it must have been spliced together because I don't think that that's how they did it. I'm pretty sure they yeah. didn't. I'm pretty sure what happened was they probably had one half of one and one half of the other and it was some sort of because it looked yeah, like it was recorded yeah. or something so so they've just yeah. kind of spliced it together but it's the weirdest thing i've ever seen because i i know we i think we talked last time you know when we were talking about the the kangaroo tour about how there was two lead commentators and they they would swap over and things like mm-hmm. that it felt a bit like that except it was like someone did one half and then someone else did the other half and it was some of it was the same and some of it was quite different but um the the uh, maybe I'll go to you first. What What are your kind of memories of this game, like from from back in the day? Did you watch this live, or I don't think I did. It, it's you know, it's honestly, Dave. You know how engrossed in this era I've been hmm. for the last few years, and it's very hard in my mind to separate. You know, I, I I can't work out whether I'm in 2022. Or 1997 half the time so it's very hard to separate my actual memories from you know the memories i've created for myself over the last couple of years for this but definitely i 
if, if anything, I, th I think maybe I had like a, a bit of extra interest in the tournament because of all the Super League stuff, and at the time being, you know, pro ARL. Mm -hmm. I, I remember uh, four four of the players came to Marrickville Metro, and and I actually won an Australian jersey. Uh, so who signed it? Was Mark Coyne, Gary Larson, Danny Moore, and uh, the maybe Brett Dallas was was the fourth one. But mm -hmm. so so I was kind of like invested in the tournament, but I, I can't specifically remember watching this game live. Yeah, it's um, I don't have a lot of memory of it either, and I think it may have been very much like the World Cup we have at the moment. I think it might have because might have been because it was on at weird times in the morning. Yeah, it's it's always hard. Yeah, and, and I think I, that's I what think it was. that the old kangaroo tours were a lot easier because you know there's just three big matches that you know you have to get up for. But um, yeah, even this year I'm I'm finding it hard to keep up with you know what games on which night and you know which ones I need to earmark. Yep, yeah. Well, I watched the first one. I stayed up, but then I got caught by the dreaded uh, daylight savings, thinking yeah. it was eleven thirty. It was actually twelve thirty, and then it started one yeah. o'clock anyway. And I was wrecked the whole the whole weekend. I was wrecked because I'm not a young man anymore, and I can't do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, I, I've been enjoying this World Cup, and I this the one that in 1995 kind of feels. Obviously, it, it was the kind of dawn of the era of these World Cups because we didn't have. This was the first time we had so many nations in a World Cup. Yeah, you know, so exactly. I mean, uh, whether they were really legitimately those nations or not, or whether they were very legitimate teams, I. I hazard a guess they weren't very good, um, but you know at least it was the start of something, and and that's why I think this one's a very important one. But unfortunately, it was like you said, it was marred by the fact that Australia only chose ARL aligned players. So um, you know when you look through this Australian side, when, when we sort of get to that game, uh, the Australian side is very well. It feels it kind of feels a bit strange. It feels like it's weakened if you remember the the '94 Kangaroo Tour. But when you yep. look at the actual team, you think, well, they're not really missing that many because a lot of these guys were the Australian team for you know the next five years or so. So it's not like um, it's not like there are there were sort of just guys thrown in. There was quite a lot of quality players in it. So it's not because I, I, I was watching it today and I was just thinking to myself, well are they really missing a lot of players? And then suddenly you think, oh, well, yes, of course they are. Everyone who played for Canberra and Brisbane aren't playing in this. And you're like, yeah, there's a... Like yeah, a... I, mean, I mean, obviously you're missing heaps of players, but, uh, you know, just, just look at that back line, for instance. Mm. Like, you know, Brasher was there in, in either competition. Uh, same to a, you know, slightly lesser extent with Rod Wishart. Mm. But then you have, like, Mark Coyne, uh, Mark Coyne, Terry Hill and Brett Dallas who are kind of like the, you know, replacement players, but mm. like all bloody good players, you know? So, uh, and, and then, you know, Fittler, Tuvi, Johns, that, that's pretty unbeatable in that era. So, you know, they didn't really lose much, which just shows you kind of how far ahead they were at the time. Yeah, well, um, maybe the best thing to do, I'll, I'll just, we'll just do a little bit of a run through of, because obviously we're talking about the semi-final between Australia and New Zealand. Maybe just have a we'll just have a discussion about the the sort of pool matches and how they got to where they got to. Because there's some things here I was having a look at I hadn't realised about about how this game may not have even happened if certain things had gone another way. But um, the way they ran these pools is very similar to I think 2008 had this kind of for, format where 
there was a like a super pool of four teams. Then there were two pools of three, and so the best two teams in the four and the fourteen pool went through, and the other best team of the other two pools went through. So it's just basically they played each other around robin, then it was the semi-finals and finals. So they put Australia and England in the same pool. They gave England the first game up against Australia. I think they probably thought Australia will be jet lagged and we'll have a chance against them, and and it did work. They won. I mean, England won that first game, which meant that when we came to the group stage, Australia ended up finishing second in the group, like in the pool, um, which meant they ended up playing New Zealand. If it had gone the other way, they would have ended up playing Wales. Um, and, I mean, it was a close it was a close result, but like pretty much all the guys you've just named, they had John Hopawati on, on one of the wings in the first game. Um, they he played, had a shocker, didn't he? Is that, yeah, I think is that so. my memory? I'm pretty sure he did. I don't think he played again after that. Um, I mean, Fittler was the captain. Fittler was in every team. Uh, they, they played a bit of funny buggers around the hooker and the and the halfback. So they started the first game with Jeff Toovey and they put Wayne Bartram at number nine. They didn't even play Andrew Johns at all. So on the bench, they had Matthew Johns, Robbie Adams and Paul Harrigan. So three Newcastle guys on the bench, but no Andrew Johns, um, which was interesting. And I mean, when you look at the, the forwards, the forwards are all quality forwards. You know, you've got Gillespie, Carroll, Menzies, Dean Payne, and Jim Dimmick. So... You know, I, I'd imagine that Paul Harrigan was pretty charged up the fact that he didn't get to start, but Mark Carroll did, so that probably caused some problems. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that they they were close. It was 20-16. to 16. They they came pretty close to winning that game. And then, of course, they had two very easy games to come up afterwards. So they ended up playing South Africa and won, like, 86-6. to 6, And I think Hopawati scored three tries in that game, so he must have he must have got a bit of redemption. Um and they, they moved the team around a bit, and in that game they played the Johns Brothers at halves, and they put Aaron Raper at hooker. So it's sort of like, let's just try some things around. And then the third game in the pools, where they beat Fiji 66-0, they put Johns at, foot at uh, hooker, they put Tuvit halfback, put Fret, foot, sorry put Fittler back in, um, and they kind of just, I think they knew they were going to cruise through the next two games, so they just kind of put it wherever they wanted in there. But... Um, like I said, if they hadn't won the first game, they would have ended up playing the winner of that, I think it's Pool C, which is Wales. But they ended up losing, so they ended up coming up against South Africa, against South Africa, against New Zealand. Um, whereas New Zealand's way through was very interesting because they were in a team of a pool of three. So it was New Zealand, Tonga and Papua New Guinea. Um, and in the very first game, New Zealand won by a drop goal. So um, Matthew Ridge kicked a field goal to win them the game 25-24 against Tonga. Um, the interesting thing is, I don't know why, but in this Tongan side, they only got listed two reserves rather than four. So I don't know whether they just played with with 15 or, and that's how they played it. But yeah, um, the Tongan side's got some pretty good players. Like it's got it, Sol Mahamono and Owen Gutenbeel in it. So it, it, that, that was like a, a decent Tongan squad. But mm. it... it it was kind of like funny because it's not like the recent Tongan resurgence where it was, you know, it, it kind of started with the defections of Tamalolo and, and Fafida and it's kind of all picked up from there. But like, there's some like really like awesome kind of, you know, generational players, which you didn't have in that 95 team. It was like, you know, maybe it was New Zealand underperforming, but it, it was just quite remarkable that Tonga in that era got so close to them. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, they, 
I, I, I haven't seen that game. I haven't gone back to try and find it. But um, apparently um, Tonga had led, you know, 24 to 12 with like 20 minutes to go. I've, I'm just reading off the Wikipedia there. So, um, and basically, you know, just in the light, the last sort of 20 minutes, they pulled off two tries and, and then, um, you know, right at the end of the game, Matthew Ridge kicks a field goal and wins the game. So, you know, it's if Tonga had won that game, it would have meant that Tonga would have gone through and New Zealand would have got knocked out and that would have been an amazing thing to happen. Yeah, so can you explain that to me? So Yeah, so New, so, Zealand... So New Zealand played Tonga in the first game and they won by points. And yeah. then the next two games... Papua New Guinea and Tonga had a draw and then New Zealand beat Papua New Guinea but if if it had been Tonga winning rather than New Zealand winning they would have got a win and a draw and New Zealand would have just got one win so it would have en- yeah. ended up that way um, it's only because Tonga and Papua New Guinea had a draw but the same thing is if is if Papua New Guinea had beaten New Zealand in the last game then they would have they would have gone through like it was and they they end up losing twenty two to six, so it wasn't wasn't terrible, and I mean that's not a puppy New Guinea side that you'd know many people from. There's probably yep. I mean it's got Marcus Bay in there and Adrian Lamb, Stanley um, Jean was there, yeah, wasn't he? Definitely. I mean there's there's a few good players, but not. I I feel like Papua New Guinea is getting better at the moment too. They're not yeah, really talking yeah. about them, but there is there is a lot of talent coming through, and it's because of like PNG hunters and. Some guys that are probably going to become household names in the next five years, um, but yeah, it, it's. I just wanted to highlight the fact that New Zealand's run through to this to this semi final was not assured. Like they probably got themselves into the harder of the of the um, the two the two not easy pools, but the harder of the um, the two pools that happened because in the other pool you've got Wales, Western Samoa, and France, and France really didn't do very well at all. Um, Wales were the big sort of I don't know if you call them. I don't know if you call them a surprise because they were a pretty good side, but they weren't. Uh, they were probably all beatable for New Zealand. I think that New Zealand would have beaten all three of those teams pretty easily. But I think on the other side, you know, Tonga probably aimed up against New Zealand and so did Papua New Guinea. Here's a hypothetic for you down the track. Mm. I, I think there's a number of ways you could spin the the rugby going professional uh, in terms of hypothetic situations but a big one is what would have happened to wales mm. if, if it weren't for rugby going professional like so many of those players had come to rugby league from rugby and just about all of them you know within a couple of years had gone back to rugby union so it, it was kind of like a lost era of of wales greatness that we missed out on because of rugby going professional yeah so the Wales team that played England in that semi-final had Euston Harris, Alan Bateman, Jonathan Davies, um, Kieran, Kieran Cunningham, Cunningham was on the bench, yeah. So, you know, I mean, a lot of them stayed in rugby league, but, um, yeah, I think there's a few other guys here that might have been union guys, and, and it would have been more union guys coming across because if they got a little bit of success, they would have been like, yep. we could have a go at this and we can earn money. We can earn more yep. money doing it. Um, I think the whole professional amateur thing with the rugby union was a bit of a farce anyway because they were paying them, and we all know they yeah. were paying them. Yeah. But if they had been fully amateur and not being paid, then, a, then yeah, the Welsh Rugby League team would have been really, really good. So, 
you know that is a very good hypothetical we'll have to we'll have to do that one day have to get on get in there and and have a look at what could happen with wales i'll have to pick some <laughs> welsh rugby union players but the thing yeah. is about with rugby union players is that when they brought in that 10 meter rule that kind of ruined it for rugby players coming across because mm. they weren't really fit enough to sort of get up and back as as you know the the league players were so i I don't think you can have too many rugby guys coming across and making a mark in in the league anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. So that sort of just highlights where how we got there. So Australia's loss and New Zealand's win against Tonga um, meant that they ended up playing each other in the semi final. Either way, that if they hadn't have done that, they might have ended up. This might have been the final, um, which would have been an excellent final if Australia played New Zealand and, and it had been an extra time sort of thing. Um, but either way, we'll we'll talk about this one. So. Um, they had it in Huddersfield, which, sorry, I should say Huddersfield. Um, and uh, Russell Smith was the referee. I remember Russell Smith. He he used to referee everything when it was Australian New Zealand because we had to have neutral referees and he was the only English referee that anyone wanted. Um, I don't know if we wanted him or not, but he seemed to be their number one referee for about... I think he was like their Bill Harrigan, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, not not well regarded among Australians, Uh of Fulton particularly. I don't know if you want to get into that. <laughs> well, we can. It's up to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this was the infamous game where uh, Bozo was like really angered about the penalty count and that anger filtered down to Bozo's wife who actually like... Oh, wait, no, sorry. That was Greg McCallum, I think. She yeah, used. no, that's a different one. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. So um, I think what I might do is we'll just go we'll just go through the side as it was named from from one to seventeen because you know that in these days we didn't put random numbers on people's jerseys. Um, so uh, the Australian side uh, it's pretty much like you were talking before. So you had Tim Brasher, Wishart, and Dallas on the wings, uh, Mark Coyne and Terry Hill in the centres. Uh, number six was Brad Fittler. Number seven was Jeff Tuvey. Although Jeff Tuvey and Andrew Johns, who was named at number nine, swapped. So Johns yeah. played with number nine and played halfback, and Tuvey played at, at uh, hooker. Um, they went with Dean Pay and Mark Carroll to start off in the front, and they went with Menzies, Larson, and Dimmick. Um, and then on the bench, it was Ove- Robbie Davis, Matthew Johns, Jason Smith, and Nick Kosef. I don't remember seeing Jason Smith and Nick Kosef play. I know that Robbie Davis got on. I don't even know if Matthew Johns got on. Can't remember. I can't remember seeing any of like many substitutions in the game, because um, this is back in the era when you wouldn't make all your substitutions. You'd just use who you needed to use. Um, so for the New Zealanders, uh, the the greatest novelist of all time, Matthew Ridge, as the uh, as the captain, um, Sean Hoppy and Richie Barnett as the, as the wingers, Richie Blackmore and Kevin Iro in the centres. Uh, they had Tony Kemp at six, they had Stacey Jones at seven. Uh, Lomax and Lowry as the front rowers. Henry Paul played hooker. Stephen Carney, Quentin Pongio in the back row, and Mark Horro at lock. And they had Gene Namu, Hitro Okasin, uh, Ruben Wiki, and Tony Iro. So if I look at those two sides, you're kind of feeling like New Zealand's right up there. Like there's some real good, big quality in that side. I mean, the two Richies, the Barnett and Blackmore, they were, they were both, I remember them very fondly as being great players. And there's a lot of guys that, like guys like Henry Paul and Tony Kemp and you know they were they were just like mainstays in this New Zealand side. They were always had them in there somewhere. 
a fair bench as well with like Namu that you know he had a very brief peak but it, mm. it was a good peak Ruben Wiki, Tony Iro, and you know the super sub in Officini as well so mm. yeah a very, very decent squad yeah and they it was interesting because watching from our perspective from much further the future you're watching a Stacey Jones who's only really had what one season of of ARL football with the, with the Warriors you know not really that well known still talked about as being the young fella but he was really good in this game too like it in, in fact he did most of the organizing Kemp didn't really do a lot and I think Kemp actually went off at one point and Gene Namu came on and replaced him I think he might have got an injury but um it was pretty much mostly Stacey Jones and I mean, I did like in the commentary they kept talking up Henry Paul. Um, you kind of watch him out of dummy half. You got to watch him at dummy half. Um, he just looked awkward in dummy half. I don't think he ever did. He, did he used to play dummy half? I thought he used to play somewhere else. I don't. I don't know if they've just shoved him in there to get him in the team. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't really remember him playing much dummy half, but um, but yeah, Henry Paul. I don't remember he being like a like a hooker or anything. I think he, I thought he was usually like a five, eight or something, but maybe a center or something like that. So felt like they just kind of threw everyone they could in there and just to try and try and get all the talent they could in the team. But like I said, there's lots of, lots of talent there. So, you know, and Stephen Carney in this game was absolutely amazing. Like a, just, I don't know how to describe how good he was. He was really, really good in this game. So, um, and I think Kevin Iroh, just such a big body out wide was was pretty hard for the Australians to to handle, and um, you know, it, if you what if you put these these two lineups together, you'd think, oh well, you know, New Zealand maybe has the edge. I think in some in some parts, so you know, it, it really did deserve to be a cracking game, and it really was. Um, yeah, I don't know about having the edge because you know. I, I... He rattle off those names in New Zealand forwards, and I'm like, oh, that's that's a pretty like intimidating pack. But then, mm. I, mean, I mean, Dean Pay was just about the best front rower in the world this year. Then you have Carroll, who was at his peak. You know, Menzies, Larson, Dimmick's a, a pretty uh, red hot back row as well. So um, I'd, I'd still give Australia a, a slight edge, but yeah, de- definitely like a, a really good New Zealand team. Um, well, Stephen Kearney, you mentioned, yeah. like, I, I just thought he was a fantastic player. I know. If only he could coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, th- one thing that did give the Australians the advantage, and I found very interesting in the commentary, both sets of commentary picked up on it, uh, Australia had three trainers who were running on the field constantly, mm. um, and they, to the point when, at some point in the second half, the, the English commentary started calling it ridiculous and then um russell smith blew his whistle and the trainer started running away and it was like a benny hill moment where the trainer was running and russell smith was chasing him off the field <laughs> um so it, it seemed to be a tactic that they wanted to like bob Fulton wanted to get messages out to the players and of course you know in typical style as soon as the trainer's on the field everyone is up in arms um yeah so yeah, I just I found that pretty funny that um, th- throughout the whole game, and you could you noticed it like I noticed in the commentary, but because they were pointing pointing it out so much, I thought this is pretty hilarious that they've got they've just got this <laughs> these trainers running on and off the field and these like bright red sort of um, shirts and everything, 
And yeah, they uh, Winfield sponsored shirts. Exactly. As well. Yep, Winfield. Well, you got to have Winfield for your sponsors, even though it's nine ninety five. Um. So, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just going to go quickly through the game and some of the points. So Australia gets out to a real like to a pretty sizable lead. I think it's ten nil at first, and then New Zealand get a penalty, and for some reason at ten nil they decide to kick a goal, um, and then they keep kicking goals. So they basically it gets I think it gets to fourteen six or maybe twenty to six or something like that. But New Zealand just keep kicking goals the whole time. So which I find quite hilarious. Um, like if you're down by ten, maybe don't go for goal. Uh, but you know it it felt like. In a way, it felt like New Zealand was playing like late 80s, early 90s football and Australia was trying to play something new. And when you're watching it, um, you're watching this sweeping backline movements that New Zealand are doing and you're watching Australia doing a similar thing, but the Australians are kind of playing a little bit more of a, a territory game and a, and a possession game. You know, they're sort of, they're, they're not trying as much stuff, whereas New Zealand's just like, put a chip kick through or, you know, playing in that old style. If you see it, you just play it in front of you. And that kind of gave Australia the the upper hand because, you know, Australia got so much possession. I think at one point they were like 80% possession and they basically just wore New Zealand down at the start. So, um, and that's, you know, there was some pretty impressive tries, but um, I just found it really, really interesting that it feel like a clash of two different types of football. And I'm not sure whether Frank Endicott maybe an older style coach or something. And, you know, Bob Fulton was always the innovator. So maybe that's where that came from. But it felt really much like Australia was playing like 1998 football and New Zealand was playing like 1992 football. Yeah, I I, I can't remember if it was much of a feature in this match, but from watching the World Cup when, when we did our Super League um, series chapter on this tournament, I, I was just really struck by... Brad Fittler in particular, just these like, you know, short kind of like bullet passes through the middle of the field, usually, you know, finding Menzies who, you know, run 40 metres through a hole. So I think, I don't know if it featured much in this game, but mm. they were definitely like, um, you know, really exploiting that throughout this tournament. Yeah, Steve Menzies was was playing like an edge back rower would. Like he was running lines on, on the edge. So, um, and, and actually a few times... Like especially when the English commentary were talking about, they were talking about the fact that he's he's like a centre but with just much taller or something, or a centre with a bigger body or something. That few times they said that, so um, it did feel like Australia was playing that kind of football, and I think that maybe they were evolving a little bit further than New Zealand had. Um, yeah. And New Zealand definitely had skill and they definitely had the size, but they probably just didn't quite have the tactic. And I think maybe only. A little bit of Stacey Jones, he might have kind of been kind of pulling them to the future. But, you know, when it was going to some of the older guys, they were sort of, I don't know how to describe it, but there's just, there's a different feel about sort of the 90s football, like the early 90s to the later 90s. And it felt like there was two different styles happening there. Yeah. Um, So obviously we we go back and forwards. There's a few, uh, New Zealand are trailing quite a lot of time in this game. Um, and then Terry Hill gets sin-binned, like Terry Hill should do, um, every time he plays. Um, and it kind of opens the door, and New Zealand just kind of roar right back into it. Um, and they score... I, I can't remember who scores the try. I think it might be Barnett scores the try in the corner. Um, I don't think it's on Hoppy's wing. I think it's on Barnett's wing. 
but New Zealand scored right near the end. It's like 78th minute. Well, it was minute. Tony Iroh, wasn't it? Was it Kevin Tony Iroh? Iroh? Oh, that's right. It was Tony Iroh. Iroh. He scored wide. That's right. They passed it. Kevin Iroh. Kevin Iroh. Tony Iroh was on the bench. Yeah. So, Kev- that's right. Kevin Iroh scores out wide. Um, no chance to run it around or anything. But the, the whole time they were talking about when, um, especially in New Zealand commentary in that first half, the whole time they're talking about the super boot of, of Matthew Ridge and, you know, Matthew Ridge, uh, you know, that he's he could be the, the advantage that the Kiwis need because his goal-kicking, you know, he, he never misses. And they kept saying this. And, and he did miss oh, one no. earlier in the game. He had five oh, from no. six. <laughs> so when he came, when he lines up for his kick, he had five from six, um, which is still pretty good. And a few tries were scored out wide. So he definitely was a very good kicker. And the, by comparison, Australia were not as good. Like, I think there were three from six or something in the whole game. So... Yeah, no, like, was Wishart kicking? No, it was Andrew Johns was kicking. Andrew Johns. Yeah. Apparently, Wishart had a thigh complaint, and so okay. they'd given Johns the kicking. Um, yeah. He got one from directly in front, so that's mm. he had two from a bit wider, but just not a really good effort um, in terms of kicking. And I and I think he kicked one in extra time as well, so I think it might have been even worse than that. But I, I'm trying to remember how how it worked. Um, actually, no, I think no, sorry. No, it was. It was. It was the three during the game. He had three from six. Um, so when you look at it, like the amount of tries Australia scored compared to New Zealand was was ridiculous. Because at one point it was, I think it was fourteen six, and it was like two tries to nil. Yeah. <laughs> and so, or three tries to nil actually. Sorry. So it was like ridiculous that they were they were still in the game, and it was just you know Ridge kicking it. Um, and so he lines up the kick from the sideline. Uh, I didn't. It was not really easy to see, and I couldn't really tell, but I think this was still the era of sand. I don't think you had kicking tees in 95. Yeah, no, de- definitely sand. Yeah. So, because I, I just want to pull you up on something. I know this is not in our podcast. I know this is in, in your podcast. And I know you like to talk about the super boots of, you know, with 78%. Yeah. So, I don't know what your, what your rugby league history is in terms of playing, but did you ever kick goals at all, Michael? Oh, not like... It, it, for a team, you know, I, I, yeah. So, I, I know you have the experience here. So. Yes. Now, I want to say this. <laughs> I've listened many, many times before to you saying this, and I think that you could probably add about ten percent on top of what you could do if you can kick with yeah. with a tee, because I tell you, kicking with sand was was a nightmare. You you just could not get it to sit right, and you just got no power out of it. And as soon as they brought in kicking tees, I remember a few years after they brought, like a few years after I'd kind of stopped playing, and I just thought to myself, oh, I'm just going to go buy a kicking tee. I want to see what this is all about. So I bought this kicking tee, and I swear I've never kicked the ball as far as I ever kicked it when I did that. And, and it was like I was like a 17, 18 year old when I used to kick goals, and then it was probably about 21, 22. I wasn't, I couldn't have been much more powerful um, after you know three years or four years, but I swear I kicked the ball probably 20 meters higher and 20 minutes th- further than than i could ever do with sand so i just think that um when we're talking about percentages um uh, we gotta we gotta remember that it wasn't as easy to kick them too yeah yeah of, of course do you know that the, the really scary thing about that is mm. that the very first thing we ever did in the rugby league digest about history was the the kicking team and how it came into prominence mm. and the fact that the american team in the early 50s came out and brought kicking tees with them hmm. and the new south wales rugby league actually trialed 
uh, kicking tees in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, then decide, they couldn't work out uh, who would hold the tee when it wasn't in use. So that, a big bucket of sand was, was deemed uh, more convenient. <laughs> so, so there's a point, very good hypothetical. At, at that point, yeah, how's this for you? Like, at that point, you had blokes like Keith Barnes digging holes, you know, like putting the, the hole in the dirt to, to kick, mm-hmm. uh, kick goals. You know, move through to Eric Sims in the 60s. Like, what would the percentage of, of these blokes, you know, blokes who could kick at 50 metres for a goal, you know, from out of out of a hole in the ground, you know? Yeah, with a leather ball what, too. Yeah, yeah, with a leather ball. Like, what would they be doing with a modern ball and oh, a of kicking tee? Yeah. So, I mean, I do marvel at the modern kickers and they're all brilliant and they're all, they all, because they spend a lot more time practising it as well, obviously. Yeah. But, um, you know, like it, lining it up and, and just the fact that I can hear I could hear them talking in the background about how great Matthew Ridge is a goal kicker and you know, this is his, this is his big chance and he can win this game and whatever and and you could feel the ink because I was listening to the English commentary because the second half you could feel the English commentators just just willing him to kick this to get rid of Australia because I think they <laughs> wanted Australia gone the the whole um, crowd was on New Zealand's side every time something went one way you could tell who, who whose side they were on and Australia were very much up against it. It was, I think, if ever, everyone who wasn't an Australian was on New Zealand that day, um, and he he basically shanks it. It's an it's an awful kick. He misses it by a long, long way. Um, yeah. But it's not the end of the game. There's still another. There's still another minute and a half to go. I think there is. Um, so obviously Australia kicked back off, uh, and New Zealand somehow get themselves into good field goal position. So they actually get themselves about, I think he's about 40 metres out. And um, I think it might, it must be Henry Paul that throws the pass, but he basically throws the pass to Quentin Pongia, um, which is not the guy who's supposed to get the ball in the last when you're trying to kick a field goal. So then he throws the ball to Ridge. And by that time, the Australia is up on top of him. He kind of half sidesteps and then kicks the ball, like not even... Like kind of as he's falling, he kicks this ball, and he almost kicks the field goal. He goes, yeah. he gets the distance, he just misses it to the left. But there's another one for you. Like he, even if he misses that goal, if if the hooker throws the ball directly to Ridge, he probably slots that field goal. I mean, he'd already did it earlier in the tournament and beat Tonga with a field goal in the last minute, in the last seconds. So, could, I could imagine a, a world where Matthew Ridge kicks two important field goals in two games in a World Cup and gets them to the final. Um, so it, it could have very well happened that way as well. Can, can I do a reading from the Book of Ridge? Because I've, I've got the page here. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, th- this isn't one of his hilarious quotes, but I, I think it kind of uh, sets up the moment nicely. Um, it's the sweetest left-footed drop kick in my life. I'm about 42 metres out, and as my boot connects, I think, oh, you beaut, it's there. Fittler hits me half a second later, and we're both lying on the ground, but we're watching the ball we're watching the flight of the ball as if it's in slow motion. The wind's gusting, but I've compensated for that. The ball's sailing along, just a foot outside the left hand upright, and I'm thinking, Oh look at that, it's just gonna swing in beautifully and go straight down the middle. And I'm waiting for the wind to push it right, and I'm waiting, and I'm it starts to bend. It's bending, it's bend. It's bloody missed. I've hit it that flipping well that the wind's hardly had any effect on the ball. <laughs> That's classic. That's so good. And that, and 
and like like I said, if if he gets the ball a bit earlier, yeah, he has time to to line it up a bit better because he really was he was he was pressured. So maybe he kicks it. I don't know. So maybe we can blame this all on um, on whoever passed him the ball. We didn't pass him the yeah. ball at the first instance. I'm not going to say it is it is Henry Paul, but I'm pretty sure it was. Um, but uh, yeah, look, unfortunately, it doesn't go over, and then obviously we go to extra time, and Australia just comes out of extra time, going, "Well, we don't want to lose this game," and just has more hunger and just wins the game easily. They end up scoring. Well, I think it's two tries or something, and yeah. and getting another ten points, and they just yeah. they just blow them away. But yeah, it, it was it really could have it really could have gone New Zealand's way. They they had two chances to win that game, and it would have been a little bit like in two thousand seventeen when Tonga came back against England and you know had that last kind of last ditch effort and it didn't come off for them, and they might have mm. won their way through the final. So yeah, um, so let's say. Let's say, for instance, of this that it doesn't matter which way it happens, but New Zealand gets the win over Australia, and they get into the final, and it's New Zealand against England. I, I don't know if New Zealand win it or not, but I feel like they might have been favourites to win it again. Um, what do you think would have happened if New Zealand win or if England win? See, to me, the most interesting thing is not the you know what would have happened if they won it's just the fact that australia knocked out and and what that kind of means for you know the the domestic situation here with super league what that means for the international rugby league mm. um you know from the english side if they did win you know it, it could be you know a major tournament since 1970 you know that streak would have been broken but you know, thinking about it in the lead up to this, I, I think ultimately Australia losing wouldn't have had a, a huge like. I, I think it was it was nice for the ARL Australian team to get the win, mm. but I think that made look that made Super League look worse than the ARL would have looked if Australia had lost in the semi final. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think. It, it was good for Australia to win it, but if they had a lost, I, I think people would have been quite forgiving of that. Mm. Um, but, but I don't know what, what sort of what sort of difference do you think it would have made to how things were going here? See, I think it showed that Australia could win even with just the ARL players, and it gave the ARL a lot more. Um, oh, we've still got stars because we can still win. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it. I think if they had lost, and lost in the semi-final, because losing, if they'd won this game and lost in the final, would have been oh well, England really showed up and whatever, and you know, wouldn't have mattered. But losing in the semi-final would have been a little bit embarrassing for them, and there would have been a lot of calls of why didn't they pick the Super League players? We could have won this. Why didn't we pick them? And and then it probably would have ended up where, um, you know, the next maybe the next sort of. Origin series would have been, well, you know, because they played the Origin in 95 without the Super League players as well, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So it would have been like, oh, we've got to keep, we've got to pick these guys, even though they're going to another comp, we've got to have the best players in our in our game. Oh, well, no, so 96 did have Super League players. Yeah, I know, Origin. but it yeah. would have been, and did they, did Australia play any more test matches before 97? They didn't play anything. Yeah, like. so, yeah, so they had, um, 
an, an all gold series. Oh, against that, the New Zealand also and, rounds. And then the, okay. the Fijian village. Oh, that's right. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so that there was international football, which the Super League players pulled out of, mm-hmm. but they were considered and then they... I, I don't think the All Gold series actually got up, did it? But the Fijian game definitely got played. I seem to remember all... Australia playing a New Zealand team that had no New Zealand Super League players in it. Yeah. But... It was they were not very good. They were very, yeah. they were terrible. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't think it was a series. I thought it was a one off game. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, look, to, to answer the question better, I just I think that it would have been embarrassing for the ARL, and I think Super League would have trumpeted. Look, they cut. Look, look what happens when you don't have the best players, and there would have been a lot of that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, who knows? I mean, you probably know better than I do. Do you think Do you think Super League would have gloated about the fact that Australia didn't win? Yeah, I mean, if they were smart, they would have. Hmm. But I, I think the ARL winning probably hastened a process that was always already well underway in, in terms of the, the minimisation of the international game mm-hmm. in Australia and the, you know just the, the kind of arrogance of the Australian attitude to rugby league around the world in general. I, I, I think this was... It, it was it was already well down the track, but this was kind of the the final nail in the coffin of that. I think. Yeah, it could have it could have made a little difference if Australia didn't make it into this final because it could have meant that the next time there was an a proper international, so after after everyone was back together, next time the World Cup comes around in two thousand, it might have had a little bit more interest. Yeah, but in saying that. I, I think Australia would have steamrolled everyone in 2000. It wouldn't have mattered. So we'd still be in the same position now, um, yeah. which is a shame because, you know, as you as you and I both know, the, the international game is the way, that's the way forward. I mean, State of Origin is a great little novelty game that we play every year or game three games we play every year. But realistically, I don't give a shit if New South Wales or Queensland win. It doesn't bother me because it's not like it's... There's, there's no... I don't have a pride that I have to beat Queenslanders. Um, you know, I, I love my club. I like watching State of Origin, but I want to see Australia. But I want to see Australia get challenged. So, you know, like that's when I'm watching this World Cup at the moment, I'm kind of hoping Australia doesn't beat everyone up too much. And they've kind of, we've got to this point now where Australia just walk, just turns up and wins. So, you know, it would have been great to see us not win 95. Um, but so at least there was another instance. And, and if it had been England, it would have been great for him to break that duck, you know what I mean? Get get another, basically win a tournament for the first time in what was it, twenty five years or something? Yeah. So you know, I, it would have been it would have been an exciting final, and it would have been very interesting to get the split commentary again if that happened, um, because one half I'd be cheering, they'd be cheering one way, and the other half they'd be cheering the other way. Um, but yeah, look, I think it'd have been very interesting, and you know, maybe maybe it does make a difference, but. Look, at the end of the day, I think it would have just been more exciting to read uh, Matthew John Matthew Johns Matthew Ridge's book. You know, when he when he gives a sweet description of how he kicked that field goal. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's funny that that chapter of the book, like it, that, really cut him up. Missing, mm-hmm. missing the the goal, I think, more than the field goal. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, but it it was you know something he wake up thinking about every night so it, it it certainly left a lasting impact on him i mean as it does like any 
could you imagine at that point, like, this is, he's the captain of the side, and he, the one thing he's known for is his goal kicking. Like, that's his, that's his real thing, you know, like, every, I mean, he's great at other things, but, you know, what they were talking about, about him most of the time is, is that goal kicking, and the fact that he misses that goal, like, that's, that's every goal kicker's dream is to kick a goal to win something. Yeah. And when it doesn't go over, it's, yeah, it, it must be traumatizing for that to happen. Um, I've never been in that position. So I've never been in a position to win something with a goal kick. Um, my team was usually down by 20 or 30 points, so it didn't really matter. Um, but I did, I did play in a grand final and I missed one of the goal kicks of the two I had. And I still remember that one. And I still don't like the fact I missed it, but we did lose by 14 points. So it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, it's just, I can, I can empathize, empathize with him about, how about how that would be you know bad maybe it makes a difference to Ridge's career but maybe not because realistically i as you've sort of got you've sort of talked about recently in your podcast about matthew ridges you know he went from manly which was a great system to the warriors and just kind of never really lived up to what he needed to to be a leader in yeah. that team so i don't know maybe if he kicks that goal he becomes he gets a little bit more confident but i mean you can't get more confident than matthew ridge anyway so um, <laughs> I I don't think it really makes a big difference to him. The only thing I think it possibly does is just gives New Zealand a bit of pump a bit of their tyres up a little bit for a while. But you know, by the time New Zealand really got to play again, because um, I mean they had I mean Super League had what that tri series where New Zealand played Queensland and New South Wales. So even by them doing that, and it just sort of showed how disrespectful they were to New Zealand that they yeah. weren't even they were their competitive. They were only competitive against the state side, so yeah, you know. Um, I, I think that's a bit unfair to Super League because that was that was definitely coming like with a, a strong push mm. from the New Zealand Rugby League. Like they really wanted a piece of the Origin action. Oh, of course. I, I'm not saying that, but I'm just I'm just saying that it's kind of feels it feels a disrespectful thing to have a nation playing against. Oh the state. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why I never understood it. Like it, I think you're very similar to me. Idea. I didn't watch a single minute of Super League. I still yeah. haven't watched any of it. Um, I'll eventually will, but you know, I I always used to mock it. I used to think I used to make fun of it. Like anyone who liked Super League at my school, I'd be like, huh, "You've got an international team playing a state team. That's dumb." You know, like that. That was yeah. that was one of the things we'd pick on them for. So yeah, you know. yeah, it, it was dumb. Uh, maybe we should have a, a a live watching of of the grand final. When I say live, I mean. You know, uh, <laughs> what, you want them to get out there and play it again? No, no, no I just mean, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, we we synchronize a viewing of the, the Super League Grand Final. Yeah, because I'll, I'll I'll be watching that uh, soon for the the podcast. So um, maybe I'll I'll name a time and place on Twitter, and anyone who wants to join us can can tune in. That sounds great. It's, it's like a watch party. We should get a we'll get a Twitter space on and we'll just chat about the game as it's on. Yep, sounds good. Although as you do those things, I've tried to do them before. We try and line something up, and if someone's slightly off from someone else, it'll be quite hilarious because people will be like commenting on stuff that hasn't happened for other people yeah. yet. <laughs> so you gotta make sure you get it right. But um, yeah, apart from that, that, that sounds like that sounds like a great idea. Um, look, I think we're just gonna. If we don't get to the end of this, we're just going to chat for another twenty minutes. So let, let's let's get to the end of this, and I'll let you get going. But um, yeah, look, if New Zealand had won that game, it would have been very interesting. I think it would have just enhanced Matthew Ridge's 
um, you know, maybe his Hall of Fame for the RLD if he if he had won that game. Yeah, it's 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 possible, and it, it could have been you know made him even more of an icon in New Zealand. Who knows? But well, they, if they win that World Cup, maybe they become just as important as as the All Blacks for about a year. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it it didn't happen in way, did it? No, didn't it? it well, yeah. But we shall see. One one day, one day will be you know, will New Zealand rugby will be not as big as New Zealand rugby league and. And we'll talk about the the Kiwis being more important than the All Blacks, but yeah. I mean, I think I think part of the thing about the All Blacks is they were awesome for so long, and also that's a really cool name. Like Kiwis isn't as cool as All Blacks, no. So I think if the New Zealand Rugby League had got the name All Blacks and the and the uh, rugby had had to have Kiwis, we might have been different. Yeah, and and maybe that's that's why it, it's the opposite here. Mm. Kangaroos bigger and better than Wallabies, therefore. Mm. Exactly, exactly. So we just got to make sure we name everything excellent things and, and we'll be the most dominant sport in the world. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, Michael. I'll let you go. Um, All right, mate. Good to speak to you. No, no problem. All right, see you, mate. All right, see ya.